You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. guys welcome back to the next trek podcast this is the podcast that we usually talk about star trek discovery but of course that is in hiatus at the moment it'll be back sometime next year but over the next couple of months we're gonna do something interesting with the next trek podcast we're gonna do our best to step into some science fiction or horror properties that either myself or tyler have not yet experienced but are being told that we have not we're not geeky enough we, we don't have our geek card holes punched is that a thing tyler where you get your geek <laughs> yeah, card i think i think so like an ice cream place Pun- or yeah exactly place. Yeah. We, we have yep. to get that punched we have to watch that show or that television uh, we have to watch that show or we have to watch that movie so that's what we're going to do over the next few months we're going to find some some holes in our geekdom and we're going to try our best to fill them and we're very excited to be able to do that together we're going to do it. I'm really pumped. I think, sorry, yeah. I, I no, no, jumped in, but I think that we we really, like, we, we sat and talked about it for a while last week and, and said, what are we doing? You know, we've got this discovery thing that's abandoned us for yes. for nine months out of the year. What are we going to do? Yep. And and we started talking and got, hey, there are some holes in our our geek knowledge. There are so. a few. There are, there are a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So I'm excited to be able to do that. So that is what the next trek is going to do our best. We're going to do our best to do that over the next several months, and we need your help. Uh, that's the reason why I'm starting this at the top of the show is because we're going to do some Twitter polls and ask you what we should watch. In fact, what we're doing tonight is a result of a Twitter poll. Uh, we asked what we should talk about, and The Expanse was by far and large the number one answer that we got said we should talk about The Expanse. So that's what we're doing tonight, and we're very excited to do that. So this is the Next Trek Podcast. My name is Chris. Who is that? I'm Tyler. Oh, hey. <laughs> Who are you? And I'm Tyler. <laughs> and with us once again is uh, is Kate, who's joining us. Uh, she's Yay. she was here on one of the episodes of uh, the Discovery, and I think what was it was it Lethe that you were on? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Uh, and and we had a fun time, but Chris wasn't on there. So actually, last last time was the first time Chris and I and Kate have all had a conversation. Yep. And uh, and I think it went pretty well, actually. It was smashing. Wasn't it great? I mean, I was a bit of a disaster, but Kate was really good. I mean, she, you know, <laughs> I, I said some things and then Kate was like, Chris, you're wrong. And I was like, you're right. And I, actually, Kate, I have to say, I've, I've, I've thought a lot about some of the things that you've said to me. And uh, I realized I was wrong on even more um, uh, things. I can't wait to talk about this because there are some moments in season three that um, hit me in the feels. And uh, I said, wow, this is this is the science fiction that I am looking for. These are the droids that I was looking for. And I am I'm very pumped to get into that discussion. It's going to be really good. In fact, I'm thrilled that you've come around. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. You were right is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. I don't say that very often. Just ask my wife. So yeah. I don't think he said that to me very often. So we're, I think we're, we're good. It's because uh, you're, you're, you're never right, Tyler. It's because I'm never no. right. It's man. <laughs> well, in fact, yeah, we were, so Chris and I over the last week, we, we were slightly delayed in uh, watching this on time. And so he and I both over basically the last three days binge the entire third season and uh, we're we're texting each other, which we we actually don't normally do. We're usually pretty good between like with a with an episode of Discovery or something. We're we're usually good at keeping it <laughs> keeping it contained. But uh, dude, when you dude, I'm when telling you, commit you. thirteen hours in two days. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, I couldn't keep it to myself. But there were some moments, specifically a line, uh, and if you've seen season three, you know what I'm saying. If and if you haven't, then this isn't spoiler. But when when the line "I am that guy" happens. 
I literally oh lost gosh. it. I was it was one of the most satisfying moments in my television watching history. I was just I, I was sold. From that moment on, I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Let's make this happen. Let's do this. Oh, you heard he, it here, he text, folks. Right? <laughs> he texted me and said, I'm watching the best hour of television I've ever seen. Yeah. It was crazy. Ooh. I did. Yeah. I did. And I actually feel like it's actually three hours of television. Ah. Episodes well, four, five, and six are just yep. mind-blowingly great. Agreed. I love it. Yep. Yes. Well, let's uh, let's back up slightly, and yeah. then we'll we'll get into this a little <laughs> bit more. Okay. Uh, because as you guys can tell, though, we are incredibly eager to talk about this. Um, so, if you have not watched through season three of The Expanse, stop right now. Do what we did. Watch thirteen hours of it in two days. Do it straight, and then come back. Yep. Uh, because then I think you'll get some more appreciation. Uh, and and also, I guess it goes without saying, please also watch seasons one and two, and listen to our last week's episode. But uh, it was. Uh, I, I'm excited about it. We had a good conversation last time. We tried to cram two seasons in one hour of discussion. Now we can get uh, a third season, and I think we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be pretty good with that. So, um, quick recap, just bare bones recap. If it's been a while since you've seen it, mm-hmm. uh, this is a, a a film series or a TV series based upon the books by James S. A. Corey, which is a pseudonym for Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. Let's see, where we last left everybody, they had, at the end of season two, now it's all kind of blurring for me, they, um, they've been making protomolecule hybrids. Is that, is that what I'm remember, remembering correctly? And they had killed one of them by, um, by burning them in the drive plume of, of the Rosinante. Uh, but now we have this, this essentially this big mystery of what is, what is everybody doing mm-hmm. with the protomolecule hybrids? What's their end goal? Um, what is uh, Jules-Pierre Mao, what's his goal in all of this? He's the big, you know, corporate, you know, machination, mustache twirly guy who is, who's behind all of the problems. But then we have further political intrigue between Earth, Mars, and the belt. Basically a power struggle. Who has, who has the protomolecule, who will do what with it, and what's the balance of power um, shifting to in, uh, in the solar system? That's yeah. kind of where we're starting. Is that right? I mean, season two ended on a huge like cliffhanger with, uh, uh, was it Avasarala? Is that how you pronounce her yep. name? Um, mm-hmm. Being, you know. You mean our favorite character. Wounded. Yes. yes. Wound, well, yeah, like d- definitely like almost held hostage on the yacht of this mustache right. must twirly. And the, um, I guess what is like basically the vice president. What is it, what is it called in the UN? The um, I forget his actual title. Aaron Wright is his name, but I, f- yeah. I forget his yeah. his uh, title. Aaron Wright has basically now gotten the upper hand, and we thought that he was about to surrender and give up and admit that he was an evil dude, and now he has gotten the upper hand. He is now kind of uh, working things in the background and clo- bringing the the solar system even closer to war. Like he, he, that is his ultimate goal is to is to bring war. Uh, from the belt to Mars and Earth, that that's so kind that of Earth happening. can dominate everything and take over Mars in the belt, right? Correct. There's this um, this plot, this kind of conspiracy to uh, to cause. It. So that is all in place, and that's where season two left off. I have to say, if I was watching this show in real time, that would have been brutal. Uh, I don't know how oh, I don't know how long that wait was, but that is that's got to be a brutal wait because yeah, everybody's kind of in danger. It's a huge cliffhanger. That's when you go out and get read the books. Right, exactly. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Well, 
and as as we really found out, and I was I was uh, te- texting Kate as well while I was watching it. There are this is uh, the I think the clearest beginning of the departures from the books in this in this season. There were some smaller ones like we had said last time that I, w- I would I would really say they're minor departures. Like the end goals, the milestones uh, are still the same. Right. You know, we end up with with the same end goal, but but a lot of a lot of changes in the how. Um, hey, are, are really seen there. Should we yeah. give our like spoiler warning right now and just tell? Did we already say this? I already did that. Yeah, I okay. said if you have not seen Good. it, it's it's happening. Yeah, That's fantastic. Um, and yeah, so um, and, and we don't have to get into all of those things, especially because Chris hasn't read the read the books yet, so we don't want to spoil too much. But there are small things like um, like drummer. Drummer is, uh, I think, a male character called Bull, if I'm remembering right from the books, essentially. Um, with Yes and no. They've actually combined characters. They combined them. Okay. things that happen to Bull happen to Drummer in this mm-hmm. because Drummer actually becomes a noteworthy character in book five of her own accord. Uh, and so they just combined the two. Hmm. Yeah. Um, who else? Let, let's let's kind of just go down this right now. What other new characters are we are we introduced to that that stand out to you? For for me, um, drummer is a big one as well as as Anna. Um, it, Anna, yes, yeah, I love played, Anna. Played by Elizabeth Mitchell. We should have said drummer is played by Kara Gee, or Kara Gee maybe. No, she but, um, but drummer's been in it since season one, right? Or at least season true, two. True, she just gets some more prominence, I think, in this one. Oh, she huge. Really, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And she is amazing, right. by the way. What an amazing yeah. actress. I've seen some behind-the-scenes footage. I was watching her talk to me without the makeup on, without the... And I was like, I don't know who this is. Who is this person? What mm-hmm. what role did she play? And then they yeah. and they said drummer, and then they showed her in the show, and I was like, whoa, whoa. She is she's that. an amazing actress. Absolutely yeah, incredible. she has so much presence and oh, everything that comes with that yeah. she's so good really really good in this in this role no doubt yeah it was amazing well she started out kind of as fred johnson's lackey you right. know afterward and, and i don't think we get fred johnson after much after season or episode what three four something like that um maybe if that at all in this yeah. season she she really is the the voice of the opa the voice of the belters and until we get uh, uh Clay Ash, ashford played by david stratham um who is that's a, he's a pretty sizable actor to to come into this he, he played the main antagonist in the born ultimatum and and i think also born legacy that quality amazing sequel uh to the mm-hmm. born trilogy um he's, he's guest starred on so many things he did the tv show right. alpha is like he's out there in geek culture so he was a pretty uh noteworthy get for the show he was the main character wasn't he in alphas uh, sort of but yeah he was the professor x kind of professor, character in yeah. that but yeah 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 i've seen her he, he was in uh, billions if you guys watch billions on showtime oh, i haven't watched that yet um yeah he he's he's very good the only issue i had with this in and this is just me because i'm a filmmaker and i kind of you know and i watch a lot of movies the moment you see an important actor you know that he, they're going to play a big role it's not yeah. like he's going to go away so it's this moment he showed up i was like all right he's going to be the captain <laughs> like yeah. I, I just immediately yeah, knew that there was going you know there was going to be this 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 they you know that, that was just an unfortunate bit um it's true but i feel like he made kara g look really good as drummer though like oh. he's a well-known actor and she like holds her own and then some and it's it just highlights how fantastic she is 
the acting, I agree with you on that, but oh, also man. I agree with you if the, if that he was a great foil to her as well. Like you knew that she needed to be on, you know, just as like characters, she needed to be on her A game in order to not, you know, uh, lose power to him. And I don't, the only mm-hmm. time that, I mean, there's a moment in this season when they're pinned in the whatever oh, that is. Oh, that's an amazing scene, um, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great sequence. It's a great moment for those two characters. And so, yeah, I, I was, I was, blown away by by what they did it did not go the route that i thought it was going to go down uh when he first mm-hmm. showed up i really expected him and, and i i remember him in the books but i do not remember him being as prominent in the books uh and maybe it's just i guess the effect of screen uh, screen time but right. uh um he he stood out so much more and, and that sequence that you're talking about where they they are is literally like a rock and a hard place they're both pinned between two uh, Earth movers, I think, is what they are, or, or something that of heavy that machinery. Way. Yeah, heavy machinery. Yeah, and they um, one cannot move the Earth mover without crushing the other one. Right. Um, which is which is super cool, and and it works always when you have two great actors or great characters stuck in a room together, and you get to, you get some amazing character moments and acting between the two of them. Um, you they get into what makes each one of them tick. Yeah. Um, because what I really like about it is, is like, I think this is what you were hinting at is he comes on scene on, on set Ashford does. And you think he is, he's the new bad guy. He's going to come in and, and kind of just, he's going to kill her or get her out of the way yeah. and, and take over. And he never, it's not as black and white as that. It gets there sort of, but it's not in, not in any way that you, th- that I don't, you think it will happen. I don't think it ever gets there, actually. Well, never, never to the mutiny part, but to the, uh, I mean, to the, to the taking over part. That's it gets there. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But that's about it. Yeah, he is a lot grayer in this than I remember from the book. In the in the book, what you did have of him, his his motives were less explored. Um, and I mean, even with Jules Pierre Mao this season, oh, like man, they gray. seem to be t- taking a lot of effort to make him. Uh, not just a rounder character, but have those moments where you almost feel sympathetic towards him, even though you think, you know, he's a piece of human garbage for what he's doing. Yeah, for like a yeah. split minute when he when he actually, you know, gets makes like a human connection with a child, and then yes. as soon as it, yes. it as soon as it's apparent that he can like gain, he can profit. Yeah, yeah and then suddenly it's like, ah, oh, never mind, just go and do whatever you want. Then you're like, you know what, that dude can die, die in fire right, yeah. right now. Just, just let it, let it happen right now. I, and I loved, actually, I loved that for the writing of it, and 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 that character or that actor, and I always forget his name. Um, he, it, hold on, let me find his name here. Um, uh, yeah, Francois Chow, who was from Lost. He he plays the evil scientist in Lost. He always seems to play the evil scientist to me. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, uh, but but I, what I appreciate is that they did gray his character just a little bit, and we almost get this breath with him mm. of you've hated him for us for two seasons, right? Of he is the guy that is just he's at the core of it. He's you realize he's not the only one pulling the strings, which I like, yeah. and. And then for a minute, he gets for basically one episode. He gets he connects with with May, and he is he saves her from being you know uh, injected with the proto molecule. And you're like, oh wow, is this gonna be a, is this gonna be a, a you know a turning point for him? Is oh no nope not at all. Uh, never and, mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. And I liked that. It was it was a little bit of misdirection, and it didn't feel false. Right. It felt like yeah. it worked. 
I feel like Dr. Strickland was probably the yes. only character who was oh, completely unredeemable in gosh. season three in terms of, you know, no grayness at all. This guy is just doesn't deserve to be called human. No, he was the Mengala of, of it all. He just was was happy to manipulate all of those kids and and Mao and to to be able to, to get what he wanted. He was but terrible. His his exit from the show is by far oh. The best. That's your moment, right? That's your moment. That's Let's, why don't you just because, and I know we're going to get into like high moments and stuff like that, but just because we've gotten there, Chris, why don't you walk us through that? What what is that scene for you? And and oh man, oh man, no, no, why is it so powerful? Well, it's just so great because I mean, I I saw it coming from like kind of a mile away, like the way yes. that. So basically, the father of the daughter. I'm sorry, what's his name? Prax. Prax. Uh, has been looking for his daughter. We talked about that season two. It's one of my favorite storylines just because it was so clear. You know what I mean? It was, I knew what his motivation was, what he wanted. And finally, he's reunited with his daughter. And then we realized that the scientist is the one who had been taking advantage of her, hurting her, uh, could have potentially, you know, infected her with a protomolecule and done all kinds of terrible things and was willing to do whatever. Just completely um, amoral and, and all that stuff. And um, is about to, sh- you know, the, what's his name again? Prax? Pr- sorry. Yep. Pr- he's about to kill the scientist. And Amos, just in this wonderfully oh. shot moment, um, the camera just slowly pans over. And Amos is right in front of his face and just says, you're not that guy. That You're not this guy. You're not this guy. And and You and can't just kill him in cold blood. You can't just kill him in cold blood or whatever. And and. He's like, yeah, you're right. So he gives Amos the gun and he walks away. Oh. And and the scientist is like, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. You just convinced him. And then Amos just turns around like he's about to walk out. And then he presses the button and he closes the door. And then he turns around, looks at the scientist. And Amos just as blankly and as coldly as possible says, I am that guy. And then oh. just boosh, kills the dude. <laughs> Just blows his head off. So wonderful. Red, so red jelly all over the window. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I love it because for me, Amos, you know, I, I, Amos came into his own for me. Like, I really wasn't yeah. understanding this character all that much. And I know that they defined it. But the moment I just realized that Amos has no morality, right? He, mm-hmm. he is completely without morality. But yes. he identifies morality. Like when he right. sees it in other people, he's like, "Yeah, that's he's, the person who is who is moral." Yes, I will follow that person. I will protect yes. that person. I will make sure that good wins. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, he will do all the dirty work. He'll take out the trash. He'll yep. do the bad stuff. He'll make sure that the one who is moral, the one who is righteous, the one who is doing the 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 right thing, is able to do what they need to do and accomplish what they need to accomplish, and that evil doesn't win. And oh man, it's so good, guys. That Yeah, that's what keeps that's what makes him a really redeemable character for his amorality yeah. is because unlike our Dr. Strickland amoral guy, he Amos knows who and what he is and he knows what should be that he is not. And then he goes and he finds that. I mean, he used Holden for a compass, he used Naomi for a compass, right. uh Prax, even the scene with with uh Anna in this season oh, yeah. where he's like I will protect you after he realizes who and what she is. Yeah. It's it's th- that's Amos. Well, and then yes. was what was great too is is that um i think it's in that same scene or maybe right after it yeah yeah yeah. no it is that's right because um he says something about to his daughter like go with him he's my best friend in the world or something like that yeah and then the Mm -hmm. next episode amos says the same thing about prax 
and it's yeah. a it was so wonderful adorable. moment. It's so wonderful good. Wonderful moment, right? Because it's just like no one's ever said that to him before. And so, mm-hmm. if, if that's true, then that's true. I'm I'm just gonna do that. He he reminds me a lot of like I don't know if you guys have seen Dexter, but like oh, yeah. Dexter knows there's something wrong with him. But if he can can he can if he can you know connect with the right with the good, he can use his you know, immorality, his amorality, I should say, to be a, a tool to help the good to succeed. And I think that's just, it's wonderful. It's its really great. It's really, really good. So anyway, yeah. I love that moment. So good. Let's, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, I agree with you. And, and you told me, you're like, you, you said this moment is going to happen. Just, you'll know when it happens. Just text me. And I, and I did. It was, yeah. oh man, it was no, amazing. It, yeah, it was great. It was great. Let's yeah, really... some of my favorite uh, scenes of the season were yeah. uh, two of the episodes where Amos and Prax were having a lot of scenes together, and they're just delightful. Yeah, I'm... I mean, down to like when Prax's oxygen hose comes loose. Yes. Oh my goodness, that was like I felt like I was having trouble breathing yeah. while watching. That. What a great shot! Like well done, well moment. choreographed. <laughs> well, I mean, oh yeah, it looks great. It's... it's amazing. It's amazing. Right. The, the scene we're talking about is is yeah this this his hose gets knocked away and they're in the middle of a heavy burn right and so the gravity is going up down sideways back and forth because mm-hmm. they're 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 burning really fast I forget where they're where they're actually going at that moment um, and and tools are flying all over the place because Prax didn't secure a locker all the way yeah. and you just get this with with a lot of other people if Amos didn't like them Amos would have just been like well if you get hit with a you know flying wrench that's that's on you but but Amos, you know, in the middle of this bone-crushing gravity, crawls yeah. over to, to Prax and, and uh, fixes his air hose for him. And I, I think even just going on that, I like, um, Amos, they spent this season, I, I think they had a lot of the problems, uh, the audience had a lot of the problems that you might have had, Chris, and um, and even with me, where where Amos was relatively undefined or, or not as well defined in the first season and maybe gotten a little bit better in the second. Um, and I think we filled in those gaps as book readers, but they, I noticed they spent so many moments in this season saying for Amos to literally say the words, like, I don't understand your morality, mm-hmm. but I will follow you. He said it explicitly, yeah. but it also didn't feel over the top. Right. Yeah. I thought that was really, really well done. Sure. Um, we we didn't talk about Wes Chatham, who's who's the actor who plays Amos. Do you think he does a, a good job? Does Amos, does the actor do a good job, or is it all in the writing? I think he's an excellent interpretation of Amos because he's very different <clears throat> than the book one in my head, and I hold them separately. But I really like his version. Uh, True. Yeah, I I think he's amazing. <laughs> I, yeah, just, I, just, I think he's quickly becoming one of my favorite characters in in just television. Like I just. I, I, I love I love the idea of it. I really do. Yes. Some of uh, my favorite scenes in books and show, um, he and Avis are all together. Oh, They're just man, delightful. I for- yeah. I have forgotten because we haven't seen enough of them together yet. Oh, yeah, we get a lot more of that later on. So you've got that. It's in the books. So you have it in true. future uh, show seasons to watch for. They're so delightful. I'm, I'm sure oh, those, those two would be really great together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, should we... Chris, how did... Go ahead. Uh, how did Bobby... Uh, do with you this year you you were not as, as in love with her last time how, yes. how are you with bobby yes no no i i have to admit like the the season two bobby just did not did not work for me at all and i don't know if it's just familiarity or the the way that she was presented in season three i thought she actually hit the mark in season three for me um she, her 
she was kind of not present for a, a good chunk of yeah. time. In fact, I don't think she's not, she's only present until like uh, season episode seven, right? That's when she actually shows up again. When is it that she, Some, it's after the six well, month she, break, isn't it? It is. Well, she, she is in there cause she helps them get off. She helps Avicerala get off the ship. Right. In the um, first couple of episodes. The right. And then yeah, she, I want to say, yes, was that? Yes, you're right. The, the proto molecule fight that she has, that's right. Um, yes. Yeah. That no. Is so badass. That's right. Thank you for yes. That, absolutely. I I actually I, I began to see her as as what I think they really want you to see her as. And like yeah. I said before, I don't know if it's just because I think the rest of the show was all firing on all cylinders that that just kind of like got me swept up in it. But like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't have a problem with her in this, and it may have been because she was in it less, and it wasn't all about her. Like, yeah. it wasn't just you know her story. As she was on the ensemble. On the ensemble, I think she works really well with a group, um, with the others, kind of um, influencing her. Um, her and uh, Avasarala was are, are really, really good together. Um, you know, them and the Razorback was 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 a lot of fun to see that yeah. and what she was willing to do and playing with speed and all that kind of stuff. It was it was it was cool. It was it was. It was I loved cool. it. I loved it when they were still on the yacht and she was trying to get her to take, uh, Bobby was trying to get Abasarala to take the, the gun. And then when she finally does show back up and Abasarala like shooting at her soon, she's like, good job, ma'am. You know, it's hilarious. Yes. Now put the gun down. Yes. Yes, exactly. Now put the gun down. That was brilliant. It was. Yeah, we get to see Bobby be the Marine that she's trained to be. We're not focused on her origin story and her conflict is already set up, which is her loyalties, you know, between the Martians and doing the right thing for the situation. And so we just get to see that conflict now play out in season three. Yeah. Um, and it really pays off. And I, this is what I said about season one and two. And this is, I feel the same way about season three is that season one was kind of just nebulous. Like I, I wasn't sure. And I still, guys really, I know we're in spoils right now. And at some point I need you guys to tell me, I'm still not clear what Julie Mao, what that is. I don't get it. I, am I supposed to get it? Did I miss something? Maybe I did, or maybe it just happens later. Um, but I still don't understand like the significance of that. This, the whole James Holden is the one thing is the thing that bothers me to no end. He's the protagonist. It's so it the just happens. thing I know, but they even make a deal of it. And just because you say something <clears throat> doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay to have a character be like, <laughs> Oh no no! I know this is super weird. It's super weird, and then the audience is like, "Yeah, you're right. It's super weird." Okay, there, huh. there's your pass. No, you still have to explain that. You still have to tell me why, and they haven't. Um, so I need to. I maybe I'm missing something there. Um, I need to n- kind of know. You know that that's the Julie thing, the the uh, Holden thing, um, the, all that connection, that connective tissue. I still don't get. Like I'm still not quite understanding the really the essence of the show like the 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 foundation of the show i don't get everything around it that's why i loved honestly that's why i love the first seven six episodes of this um season four five and six those those three episodes blew me away we're so great it comes together it all comes together and I, i wrote this down in my notes while i was watching this is that literally the character setups and payoffs in this show are epic they are yes. so great. Like you hear something happen seven episodes ago from a character, and then that thing pays off. Yeah, over down the road, and you're like, "Wow, that is really great writing. That's really great like planning 
to have them in that place, those character, the, the, those chess pieces lined up perfectly, boom. And I feel that, so I'm sure that there's a reason, but I just, tell, tell me, tell me, I just need to wait, or tell me that's just never un- understood. Uh, it's like the numbers and lost. Then those, yeah. Ugh. Well, I mean, so, Kate, I'm going to let you take most of this, but because uh, I think you can rattle it off more cogently than, than I can or coherently <laughs> than I can. But but for the Holden thing, I think, honestly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's not a fate thing as much as he was in the right places at the right time, and that's why Miller and, and the protomolecule have latched onto him. But that's – I don't think there's anything what? hugely and deeper. Although although they, they do question fate. I mean, they, they put they, – they hang the lampshade on fate. In, in this uh, season, they ask questions about, is this fate? Why are we here? Um, because he he is he does seem to be the chosen one, although I think I interpret that as there's there's a lot of right place, right time for him, particularly. Um, although he's the golden boy. He's the one who's doing the right thing. He is, I mean, he's almost attracting it because he's so morally upright. Although I but think it's not just that he's doing the right thing because Anna's doing the right thing sure. too. And Anna's, I mean, I see Holden as a catalyst. Sure. Um, and, you know, th- there was that interesting conversation between he and Avicerella where they were talking about they're both grown-ups in this, you know, in a bunch of rooms full of people who are children starting wars and causing problems. Mm-hmm. The difference between the two of them is she's a profound realist and he's um, an idealist who has a sense of possibility, but that's what's breaking for him this season. He's trying to figure out what do I put my hope in? What do I trust? Because everything is blown up in my face and I, I, he, he's kind of lost his North Star and he's, he's really struggling the whole season. And with that, you have the sense of, is he losing his mind as well going on? Yeah. Um, and so in many ways, he's almost disconnected from the main narrative, but also driving the arc of the season forward because of the whole protomolecule, the stuff with the gates that are coming. Like he's driving that, but he's disconnected from the main through line in many ways because of what he's going through. Yeah. that. So again, like I said, like the first seven episodes, six episodes of this, I was all into. And then episode seven came along and I was like, oh no what are they doing to this awesome show this is so cool and now it's not <laughs> so but um so so he's a catalyst and julie mao is a macguffin in many ways because yes. she's our entry point into the protomolecule because the protomolecule is molecule is essentially this alien sentience of sorts and it's truly alien unlike star trek where you yeah can have interaction with alien species and you know you understand i mean they're they're quasi humanoid this is truly alien and she is in many ways the way of the audience into that so that the protomolecule st- protomolecule storyline can happen okay so help she me become sort of a conduit almost like the, when when it when we see it eating her she's almost this this conduit and 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 miller you know miller we miller finds his way into the case Basically, because he's weirdly infatuated with her, and, and it's what? awkward. No, okay, so hey, hey, okay, help a guy out. Help a guy out. Just, just tell me for a second. <laughs> let, let, let me say, let me say this, and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Okay. So let, let's start at the very beginning. I went back and I watched the. Fir- <laughs> I went back and I watched the first episode okay. of The Expanse because I, I was a, the last episode of season three. I was like, wait, what? Um, so, episode one, <laughs> Julie Mao, right, is on this ship right she goes missing or is that eros that she's on i forget where she actually is no she's on she a, was in the scapulae i think the scapulae okay. yep oh that's right okay she's on a ship she okay so and something's weird has happened <clears throat> so 
my question is this: Did her dad, who is Jean Pierre Mao, Jean Pierre Mao? Okay, did he infect her? No, no, he had no intention of her ever being a part of any of that. So, you know, she'd like burned off on daddy and said, screw you and was working with the OPA but and wound yes. up. Do you remember that door. the flashback that they showed to that party where she she says in mean, the wonderful dubbed uh, the wonderful dubbed uh, over the swearing uh, where she she says F you to him. But she says, forget, forget you. you. And then like, she says it again quietly forget you and i was like oh, okay uh, stop it we, sci-fi I bring on oh, amazon man. i'm ready for i can't amazon. wait for amazon uh but so that that was her say, uh, she didn't say it outright but that is the background of her leaving her dad and thinking oddly thinking she's spiting daddy by going and joining a terrorist organization okay so but remind me then she was just on eros where her dad like how did she get infected so she was working for the OPA, and it was an OPA ship that accidentally got infected. Uh, yeah. He had no so, idea. So it was just a huge coincidence in this huge universe. Jean-Pierre Mao, who was actually engineering this, infected his daughter. It was just like in a, some ways, I mean, it is a coincidence, but it's not because you figure the life of a belter means nothing to yeah. you know him or to any corporation that he right. runs. They're meant to be you know expendable but okay so but but, okay so then so she gets she gets she's she's actually like and and kate remind me if if i'm forgetting something isn't she she knows there's something i don't know if it's she knows that it's her father but she knows that there is some weapon that they are or some some thing that they're transporting and she wants in on that and yeah, she knows she her goes. father is corrupt yeah. and wants to take him down in a fit of pique. I don't inside. know how deep that really goes and how far she that. really would have gone. But the more she investigates that, um, the more she winds up in trouble because this is the big secret that he has. Okay. So it's not as much of a coincidence. It, I mean, it, it is, but it is not, it's not a, a out-of-the-blue coincidence. It is she's, she is trying to spite Dad, and in doing so, she comes across this thing. Well, see, but my, here, here, here's the thing. So a, a bunch of people have been infected by this thing. Yeah. So yeah. why has she become, like, the queen like the, 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 or the interface? And why, wh- why was she chosen to be that? And why, then, is... Uh, Thomas Jane so drawn to her was it because she already had that power and she was she needed does Thomas Jane like have something I just don't understand Thomas Jane literally is just doesn't has never met her doesn't know anything yeah. but he gets hired by not not hired he gets put on the case yeah. by Jean-Pierre Mao because he's powerful and you know says basically go find my daughter and he goes on this case then he finds his daughter and his daughter has been infected but he's lo- he has fallen in love with this person he's never met and then decides well he admits it's creepy like he admits it's weird yeah no but why why there's there is no re- there is no re- i haven't missed anything there is no reason why or have i missed something I, well so, so I, it- I do suspect that there's a bit of fate working here or or almost if not fate then these aliens are and and this may be something in the book that i have forgotten too but but these aliens are utterly alien and we know that they're essentially trans-dimensional because they can they can bend space-time and all this other stuff to create these wormholes um it's not a wormhole. i wonder <laughs> they uh, say yeah, that i'm sorry these rings specifically the rings. <laughs> excuse uh, excuse me it's not a, it's not a wormhole <laughs> they say that uh, that's true they do say that i'm so sorry uh i thought i was the geeky one on all this wow okay uh <laughs> so uh i i wonder if there's some like 
almost like an interstellar or something like that where there is some you know they are somewhat beyond time and maybe so maybe there is some steering of of events because we also know that um i guess that miller miller becomes a conduit for them right because because of their connection with holden i think because of their connection with holden but also he's called as and i believe credited as the investigator um he's not miller any longer he's simply taken that body this is my question maybe kate can answer this why though is my question like why why is it why do they need Holden? Why is because they he there, there's this moment in whatever it is one of the very last episodes where Holden's flying in a spacesuit towards the station, right? The 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 sphere in the middle of the what will become the the gates, um, and right next to him is Miller talking to him, and Miller says something to the effect of, you know, you're just special, <clears throat> and you know. Uh, that's just the way you know it works, and I don't understand wh- why. Why it, it is is Miller not is is he Miller more than human? Is he like telepathic? Is he why, why is you know what I mean? Like, and then it was literally because the dominoes work like this. It's is Julie Mao Miller. And then we've got um, Holden, right? Like mm-hmm. that is what that—that's the dominoes that had to fall for that moment to happen. It's not like Julie is not even a part of any of this anymore. Like right. she has nothing to do with what's happening on the station. She doesn't show up. She's not a part of that. It's Miller that d- was drawn there. So did the proto molecule want Julie? Mm, doesn't seem like it. Does it want Miller? Mm, doesn't seem like it. Does it want Holden? I don't know. It seems like it. Well, maybe they why, were reaching out. I, why did he just grab Holden then? Is my question. Why was? Yeah. Why, why did it? Why did it do that? Why did it do he's, that? He's the knight. He's the knight tilting at the windmills. I. That's what I think. There's but, also an entire uh, free will predestination conversation yes. that you can have about that too. But we're gonna put the, that philosophical conversation aside because I think we can go down that rabbit hole and never emerge. Okay. So basically, what you're saying is, is that I need to let that go. Like that's just a that is a thing that that's not something that I should have. There's, picked up because I feel like I, there's I a little let me give no. you a couple pieces that may or may not help please um so when the expanse was originally created as a role-playing game etc all that was created Daniel Abraham joined Daniel Abraham is the one who brought in um the character of Miller he oh. did not pre-exist with Ty Frank's star- universe that he created originally and so he was brought in for the books and he is intentionally a noir detective kind of character right if you take Miller for a second out of this universe and stick him in a standard noir uh, story, his fascination with Julie Mao actually makes perfect sense because it's that whole broken man seeing, you know, beautiful woman who will save him trope going on there that they have just put in a science fiction setting outside of its usual context. And so it feels a little weirder for making sense. No, I, un- I understand the trope. <clears throat> okay. I get that. I just don't understand when when you add that into because like I said before everything else I feel like in the show is excellent like mm-hmm. like I said before the character setups and payoffs are all super epic I feel like the storytelling is wonderful but I feel like this foundational piece just is a little bit weak super weak to me like and I, I'm just I'm just I'm just pushing it off because I'm thinking they're probably gonna maybe they're gonna pay this off because everything else. Everything else seems to have paid off. Like they seem to have thought that far ahead. 
But for me, I just don't see yeah. it. I don't, I mean, maybe I just missed it. Maybe there's like the little hints and clues here. And that's what I was kind of hoping that you would say something like, well, I can't tell you anything about that, but wasn't it weird that this happened? And I'd be like, oh my gosh. So here's what well, I there, can there tell is you. We learn bit. at the end of this season that um, the builders of the gates are gone yes. and they don't know why. And the gates are investigating and trying to figure that out. And of course they're using, you know, Miller t- t- and Holden through that to try and figure out who it is. Those questions are further explored in Sibylla Burn, which is the next book and likely the next season of the show as well. Um, I think part of the reason why Holden wound up here, I don't actually see Holden as a chosen one. You, you keep using that terminology. I don't honestly see him as a chosen one on this. Um, so much as I see him as um, a highly unusual overlap of Venn diagrams in here, because we've seen all these different factions, and who else in anywhere's in the story has a, a very big intersection between the belt, Mars, and Earth, and connections mm. to the movers and shakers accidentally? Because I mean, he just wound up, you know, doing something stupid, surviving it, and has wound up in the middle of all this throughout. And so he's almost, in some ways, an accidental hero. And I think part of the reason why he is so important is because he's there, not because he is intrinsically important. If that makes I, sense, I buy that fully buy that and i think that's a great explanation but i don't okay. understand miller and i don't understand julie okay I don't. I don't know if i can explain that further i fully understand that and i get it because it's kind of like the okay. reason why like you know i'm i've, I've got a, a christian background and it's one of the reasons why christianity came to full fruition is because there were roads you know what i mean like at that moment it, in time, right time it wouldn't have worked any other time but because now there's this flea free-flowing set of information i get it i understand that it's just wonderful mm-hmm. explanation i i love that but what i what i don't understand is what is julian miller's role in getting him there like it, it feels like it feels like there was an intention behind it like we mm-hmm. choose julie oh but but we know julie will lead us to miller because we really need miller to be in this moment on venus and then once that happens, then we can get to this. But none of those, that just all seems kind of really tangent, like like just really off to the sur- like off the surface, not really any any depth to it there. It just feels like, uh, like you said, a MacGuffin. Like it just happened because mm-hmm. it happened. And now we get our main character finally in on that. But those he's connected to those characters in such a way that it just feels improbable to me. Like if he didn't know Miller and he didn't, Julie yeah. had nothing to do with Mal. Then I probably, then I might actually buy it more. But because we've got these, like they're all connected. They're all, mm-hmm. you know, these are all these, all the universe, all these characters are the most important characters. And I guess that's storytelling. I don't know. I just, it's not our convenience because you've got a really big universe with it's very deeply peopled. And so yeah. I think it's 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 a storytelling convenience that yeah. lets you be introduced to all the pieces of it, sets it all up, and then parts of that become far less important as the story goes on. Yeah, just, I just I find it more confusing to be honest with you. I if I, I bothers that's fair. it bothers me more than it helps me. Like I mm-hmm. I would have been. It would have been better for me if Miller hadn't shown up on the ring, turned on. Like that—that that part, uh, I, I think. When, and and where I would say is is we sort of talked about this last time. Book one is a harder read than the rest of them because yeah. the format is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, book one is a is a noir mystery 
like alongside a space opera, um, mm-hmm. especially because they write Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank write their chapters alternately, um, and so uh, uh, yeah, so so it, it does feel like there's one big plot and then another one, and then they flesh out the world. And so I wonder if this is just remnants of this is a, of almost like first book syndrome in a larger series where you know it's it's something that has sort of been retroactively, I wonder how far the planning went and then they've Mm -hmm. kind of retroactively built upon um, some of this. So I wonder how that worked. Well, okay. So how many books have there been already? We're on seven, seven, seven or eight comes out in a few months. And so this, this is the third. This is the end of a first trilogy, first trilogy sort of, but books two and three are essentially one story, but yeah. But so, but none of this is resolved in the books. Like what I've just asked. None of that. Yes. I mean, not answered fully, but the Miller but stuff done. is the Miller the and Miller the Gate stuff, stuff is, is very heavily explored in Cibola Burn Book Four, oh. and you that kind of resolves a bunch of things yeah. there. As far as you're going to get some of those questions, there are some series level arc things related to the protomolecule that we still don't have answered yet, but yeah. you do at least get some of your answers. Uh, in so, wait, so, Burn. so you're telling me the things that I'm asking you right now. Are you purposefully not telling me because you feel like they're going to spoil me? It, to an extent, yeah. Yeah. And I also don't know what the show's going to do because the show has departed in a number of ways from the books. And yes. so I don't know how they're going to explore that. Okay. So that's all I needed to know. That, what, okay. I, what I want to know, what I want to feel good about is that they know what they're doing. And the reason why I'm, I am willing to give them that benefit of the doubt is because everything else has paid off really well. Like mm-hmm. the other, other story beats, like I'm telling you, man, that the war was so oh, good man. so good yes it's like dominion level good like i was just i was so into all of that um that to come back to the proto molecule after it i was just i was a little bit bummed i'll be honest with but you. what i what i really love and and it's been so long since i've read books like book three uh book four siebel burn and anna baden's gate book three are so nicely cemented in my mind for me like I, I with in terms of the big stuff there are some details I'd forgotten and things like that but the big stuff um, one and two not so much uh, Caliban's War and Leviathan Wakes not, not so much and so um, what I'm what I'm really excited to see is where they do go because Siebel of Burn as, I, as I've said before is and I think I'll reread it before I before season four comes out because Siebel of Burn I, I read that one in almost one sitting and it was, it's my favorite one of the series for that reason. I mean, it is, it's a very different format. Like, I'm very curious how they're going to do it because it is, mm. it's very different. But they've, they've gotten around some things. Bobby is not in book three. Um, and so Bobby's not supposed to be there. But there are Martian Marines, I believe, in book three. And they, so it made sense to put her in there. Um, and so, so, because they mix, they mix up some of the point of view characters quite, quite regularly. And so, Siebel Burn is almost a, its own without giving spoilers it, it's 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 almost it's a, a very self-contained story, story right. in a specific location it's it's not as galactic so i wonder if they'll pull like a game of thrones where they begin blending the two um, like blending two books at the same time that happen over similar time periods or they'll just add in new material which they've been doing and, and has been fine right and um, because the writers of the books uh Jim they are Clay, writing episodes right they're working the episodes too so they've pulled in a lot of stuff and the new content that's created it always feels uh like it really fits i think in part because they are so involved with it well that's that's something i don't i don't want to be too specific in case this all falls through but we've we've got an interview coming up that uh with some 
heavy hitters on the show that I'm, I'm really excited about. Yes. And, uh, Hopefully we'll get I, – I doubt they will give us full answers. They're not going to say, this is our game plan for the next three seasons. But uh, but I hope that they can maybe give us some some hints. Listen, so. and, and it may sound like I am I, – I, I did not enjoy this. Look, here, here's what I'm going to do. I've already told my wife tonight I want to re-watch the entire, season, the entire <sighs> thing with you. So we're going to start from season one and watch through again. So I'm watching you this again. You think Melody I'm, will go for it? Oh, no, she's already agreed. No, listen, look, look. Yes. Here, here's the thing. I, I I actually now adore this. I'm in I'm in the expanse. I'm I'm all for it. I'm gonna start. I, I'm gonna evangelize this show. It is it is really different from anything else. Um, yes, and it's that, filling a niche that needed to be there to be created. It is it is, and it, it's not Battlestar Galactica. It is not Star Trek. It is, and again, like this is one of the things I really enjoy about what television is doing right now, and it's so interesting in this space and this day and age is that we can now tell one story and you know do it over a thirteen hour you know the you have a book you, have, you can do a book in thirteen hours, yep. and it is just it's really really great to have that kind of focus and uh, that tone just continue especially when when you know that the creators the showrunners the writers know where they're going know what they're doing right and this yeah. this third season for me really proved that because I felt like the chess pieces had moved in such a way that when the final payoff occurred it was a a big success it was just like right. oh man yeah you've been building this up the entire time and finally i get to see that moment it was really yeah. satisfying really satisfying it's more sophisticated storytelling and yeah. you had to be willing to be dragged along with season one not really sure where it's going what's you know all these all the setup that was done that's part of what makes season three sing so beautifully is because we could do the more sophisticated storytelling sci-fi we're like in a second golden age of sci-fi for television yeah and when there's so much of it out there you you have room for niches when there's only one show on tv you have to sort of go with the mainstream as much as possible and you don't have the storytelling options so we're, we're lucky on that yeah and and being being brave enough sci-fi for a while at least uh and amazon brave enough to pick up the mantle um brave enough to to tackle fairly hard sci-fi um Mm -hmm. i mean they're now i I do the books are way harder sci-fi than than this you know they go into a a lot more of the the gravity wells and and things like that you know the 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 difficulty of flying in in space as they are where star trek kind of just says oh we're going warp nine now and we have artificial gravity and and things like that um and and not being afraid to, to do that, which I, I really applaud them for. I, I had a, a Twitter conversation this morning with Daniel Abraham, who's one of the, the writers on The Expanse, and he actually gets into this, the difference between uh, Star Trek and, um, and The Expanse, which is really interesting. I kind of threw the question out there. I said, uh, I just said, what do you guys think about season three of The Expanse? And, and somebody else, um, uh, his Twitter handle is just Gary, uh, says, uh, because humans like to escape into a fantasy future better than the trauma of the past. And I, I pressed him further. I said, well, what do you think about this future? Because Star Trek is such a utopia, while The Expanse is, is often super dark and depressing. And and I know we, we got into this t- talking about this, this hardness of the sci-fi, but Daniel Abraham really gets into this comparison of... And I liked it. He, Daniel Abraham responded to me and, and went on for a little while saying uh, that essentially getting into that Star Trek is more allegorical, which is why we don't have to worry about some of that stuff while, um, while The Expanse is, is um, 
he says, uh, let's see, uh, he, well, he says Star Trek, especially TOS, um, also lends itself to allegory much better. It's a different kind of narrative, whereas he said uh, uh, The Expanse digs into, um, I lost my, my place, the, 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 the Expanse um, is actually also profoundly optimistic. Um, and he says it's the problem of purely utopian fiction is that it seems Pollyanna and unconvincing. Likewise, purely dystopian fiction can seem self-indulgent and ca- uh, catastrophizing. So I, I like that, that he he's getting into this thing where, where like you said, uh, Chris, in in Next Gen or in Star Trek, they, they didn't have to get into a lot of those nitty-gritty details. They just are... They just are there to tell a good story. They're not bothered. They're not worried too much about the the details of it. Whereas this one, because it's a book series, they can get into the nitty gritty detail, but also try to tell a try to tell a good strong story at the same time. Yeah, I agree. Kate, go ahead. What are you going to say? I know you want to. Yeah. In so I think um, it's it's where you put your focus. Yeah. Uh, in the story, because in Star Trek, you're focusing on interspecies relations, on politics, all those sorts of things. And politics are present here. We essentially have one species, though different groups within it. Um, but they put their focus on things um, like survival. So it, when they're in the, the racing pinnace, Bobby and Avasarala trying to escape, um, she's worried about Avasarala stroking out because of the juices that help them handle the, the high G stuff can cause you to stroke if your body's not used to it. They're focusing on details of hard-ish science um, as as um, sources of tension and conflict in the story to to amp up the suspense. And so it's just it's focus choices. What do we focus on yeah. to create suspense? It's and that's what they're using that for. But you don't have to understand it to get the sense of we're really worried this person's not going to survive. Well, and Star Trek does, to be fair, Star Trek does that as well. You know, how many people get stuck in the transporter buffer or, right, but it's, <clears throat> or we it's have holodeck a lot, issues? Le- it's a lot harder to understand. Right. Like the whole hard, you know, um, speed limit uh, in with the, the gates. On, there are things like that that you can physically understand. If you've ever been yes. into a car accident, you know what that sudden stop does to your body. And so it, I think it makes it a bit closer to our regular life experience than a transporter, which is the cool mental idea, yeah. but we don't really have anything that does that. So it's, it's, it's like a step closer to our experience while still being science fiction. Yeah, I want to say so much, but we've been going for an hour now, and I feel like I I need to let Tyler get us back on the road here. But I'll end with, by saying this, is that I feel like the second half of season three is way more like Star Trek than than, than yeah. anything else. Um, there, There's a moment, and, and I think it, it is kind of um, in a very kind of um, micro way, the moment where the they're pinned in that heavy by those heavy lifters. I can't remember the two characters. I'm sorry, I don't. Their names are um, Drummer and Ashford. Right. Yep. The moment you see people who are bitter enemies decide that it's time to come together for a common goal. The moment that what, what's the what's the the dude's name? The um, when, Ashford. Ashford. Once he takes control of the behemoth which is mm-hmm. a great name for a ship, by the way. Um, right. Once he takes control of the behemoth and then sends out ship-wide saying, 
hey, listen. Now that was a cool moment too. That you know you can't heal in zero G. That was pretty. That was pretty sweet. Yes, really. that was one of my favorite <clears throat> details of the season. But when they decided that they could finally turn the, the you know and and get, create a one G uh, environment, um, and he invited everybody to come together. Great, great moment. Like just a great moment of like, no, you know what? We're all in crisis together. This is it's what happens in our world today when crisis happens suddenly the differences don't matter Mm -hmm. anymore you know what i mean like that that is that is the number one thing the moment a crisis happens people just come together it doesn't matter anymore i could have hated that person yesterday but we're both hurting now and we can help one another and we're going to do it that's that's a wonderful hopeful things about it It, this isn't you know things are bad so it's going to go lord the flies and we're killing each other off it doesn't humanity pulling together and that is a more hopeful despite you know how gritty things can get and my favorite and i'll end it with this my favorite star trek moment and i for some reason i can't remember the context maybe you can help me tyler oh we'll get so much but there was this moment where somebody had hurt somebody else I think it was the um, the speechwriter, the um, Anna. Uh, Anna. I think she says this line. Somebody says to her, "This one won't care about your mercy," and then she turns around and says to them, "It's not about her. It's about us. It's about what yeah. we do. It's about the mercy that we." And I was like, "Yeah, yes, yes. I'm gonna write this yeah. down because that's the kind of stuff that I love. Like, I, I love mm. those moments of like truth." To just pluck out and just say, no, you know what? This is a horrible thing, but it's not about what she does to us. It's about what we do to her, despite what yeah. she has done to us. Oh, come on, guys. Well, that's and good. I think that's, that's good. <laughs> I, I think that's what, and I was, even with my question of, uh, uh, in, in the Twitter conversation about like the utopian future versus, versus the, the grittiness of the expanse was a little bit, you know, it was a, almost a false dichotomy because, because it, you know, while Star Trek is often painted as this utopia it is in some ways in terms of the economics of the future like nobody has to worry about being hungry in the federation but come on there's a dominion war that they fight there is i mean you go to deep space nine deals with you know uh uh what essentially could be compared to a developing nation you know with bajor um and lots of the the issues that uh, religious fundamentalism goes in there as well and lots of other things um the expanse. Daniel Abraham says he. I'd argue that the expanse is also profoundly optimistic, and I. I think for the reasons you just said, it just the packaging is is very different. It's it's packaged in this gritty, very real world. Um, you know, it, literally asking the question, what would it be like if we began to explore the solar system? Well, it would be hard. Um, whereas Star Trek just zooms us to the future and says, oh, all those problems of the past. Oh, we fixed those. But we still have our own problems nowadays. Uh, it, it, nowadays, meaning contemporary, you know, Star Trek. We still have these issues like uh, war and disagreements and 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 stuff like that. Because as the writers found out, even though Gene Roddenberry had given them a no conflict rule in the mm-hmm. writers room, mm-hmm. you can't write something without any conflict. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it uh, it it. There's it, no story then. There's no story then. Now, I mean, they they kept it to no disagreement within the cast, which is. Or what if the, the crew of the Russian, but yeah. yeah, what if the crew of the Rosinante never disagreed with one another? We would <laughs> we'd have some boring moments. Amos would just be he would never kill anybody. Um, oh no, he would just kill everyone, and uh, he you know, would kill everybody care. else. That's yeah, that's true. Um, um, yeah, 
I think it's worth noting along that line that I feel like Anna and Avasarella are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. They're both complete realists. They see things as they are. Avasarella does, you know, dirty politics, but she ultimately is going after what's right. She can, you know, figure out what's 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 needs to be done. Anna also sees the political situation. She's very insightful in factions and motivations, etc. But she's the hopeful version of that, of here's how we can be better and choosing what being better where Avasarel is like in the dirt, getting all grubby and, you know, doing verbal punches. I, oh. I feel like they're versions of this. They're also both really well drawn in how they interact with people. There's not a naive bone, neither of them. Hmm. I love it. A- a- Anna was a great, a great addition to this. And Elizabeth Mitchell, I always really like her. Yeah, and she's she has Lost. that moment of, of wonder with the ring, too, where she's, like, trying to mm-hmm. find a way to get to stay on the ship because, yep. you know, she's never going to get to see this, you know, quote-unquote miracle in her lifetime again. So, you know, risking everything for that. She's so relatable. She's incredible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Agree. She's really good. Uh, there's only one more thing that I want to talk about before we just do quick high and lows because I know we're, we're getting over an hour now. Um, we haven't addressed Clarissa Mao at all, <sighs> who uh, is – so she's she's Julie Mao's sister. She's Jupier Mao's uh, uh, younger daughter. Um, older daughter. She's thought, crazy. I might have that backwards. Did I say that again? Is she older I or I thought younger? she was older, but I might have that backwards. She seemed like oh, she was I, older. I, I felt like that. Oh, but. maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, we could, uh, I'll, I can take a look really quick while you guys are talking, but I, mean, I think what, it just, maybe the actresses guys... look that way. I don't know. True. I, may, I may have just assumed it, but yeah. Um, what did you guys think of her? I, I mean, the short thing that I would say about her is she crazy. Like that, that girl is, is just, not so and she's i will say actually in the show they played her more reserved than in the books she is yeah in the book she is bat crazy in the books what did you guys think of her Chris? I did. especially this is your first time but yeah kate what do you think i actually was she's probably the one i struggled with the most this season of anybody because it felt like it was so much more muted that her motivations if i did not know them were far less clear uh, you know, what her intentions were, why she was so angry, why she hated Holden. I know why from the books, but it was so much clearer in the books than I thought this was. And this is a case where not having that internal dialogue in many ways hurt. She is older, by the way. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of gaps in the show. Um, and I've already kind of expressed this is just one of them for me. There are some moments, I don't know if it's editing-wise, but, like, there's a moment where, what's her name, Cassie? Is that her name? Clarissa. Clarissa, Clarissa sorry. Clarissa gets put in the same prison cell as Holden. I did like that moment. I like that moment. I didn't get it. I don't understand what happened. Why didn't she just, why didn't she try to kill him? I don't understand. Because they're they in, were they're in the in same cell. They were in the same cell block, but not the same cell. No, I know, cell. but she never did anything about it. She just, like... She couldn't... I, they put a chemical restraint on her oh, so yes. she couldn't use her super strength to get at him. That's why. Otherwise, yeah, she that, uh, okay, so, that thing that they put on her was... A, she says it later on. Um, she says it's a downer. It's a chemical suppressant. I know. That, yeah, that, that I, I, I caught her. that. I just... It, I don't know. This The editing felt weird. Like, even if that was the case, I would imagine, like, she would be like... I'm so close to killing you. But instead she just like sits there and smiles at him. And I thought like she had Oh, she I thought that was a, a crazy laugh. No, like I, a, from, like a, are you kidding me? Well, no, for me laugh. it felt like okay. 
the universe has placed me here. Yeah. yeah. Finally, I am with the person that I have been hunting this entire right. time. And so I am now formulating a plan to get out of the cell or to break this thing or do whatever to kill him. And this nothing ever came of it. They just yeah, I totally agree with you, Chris, on yeah. that one. It's it one weird. where I felt like if the show was not limited to the time format that it was, if it had more room to breathe that episode, they could have developed that. But they went from, you know, crazy, I want to murder him to the convenience of, well, now I can overhear him talking to Naomi, so suddenly I'm yeah. on his side. Like that, it just the believability was broken there. Yeah. It just seemed really weird to me that we went from, I mean, what was it? The first time we were introduced to her, she's like squishing a head into a bulkhead. Like, Oh man, she's like, crazy. Like that to like, I'm still not okay with her. Like, yeah. like at the end of it, like it's almost like, okay, all is forgiven now. I, no. I do hope that they play no. that tension up in the next, in the next season because she, I, I mean, again, not to spoil stuff. She, she's still there. She's still around, and and peaches. She, I know. She's she's absolutely an insane person, uh, and like literally in the book, she's straight jacket. Like, send her off to the loony bin. Insane, like bonkers, crazy person. Harley Quinn. And I, yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. She's Got like it. Harley Quinn. Um, she and Amos have a time. And yes. it's wonderful. Her and Amos. Imagine the imagine the insanity. Like Harley Quinn and then Amos hanging out. And like the amorality of Amos, who will just kill anybody as soon as look at them. And it, it actually is pretty delightful. It's really great. He, oh, he's no. he's put in charge of her. It's You it's got wonderful. plenty to look forward to there. <laughs> yeah. I always have to think of her actual no. name. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I don't know about it's, this guys. No no no. It's it's great. We'll, we'll see what the show does. The show could play it different. Because yeah. she's way understated. In fact, it took yeah. me a while to realize who she was because I was like, I, I remember this stuff happening, but I who is this? Like why and I'd forgotten I I'd just forgotten about Clarissa specifically. And then it hit me and I was like, Oh, she's just so subdued in in comparison to like yeah, Harley Quinn. It's a yeah. good comparison. I had not thought about that before. That's exactly it. Well, I did um, not. I didn't. I did not get Harley Quinn at all from that. It, she just seemed like a somebody who wanted revenge and didn't know what yeah. the what the full story was. Yeah, that's yeah, all. But like, she was never even really seething. I mean, she had moments where, she, oh, she's doing something violent and upsetting, but you're right. not really going, oh, you know, it it just it was too. It just, and not not really uh, not clear motivation for why she's mm-hmm. going after Holden. Yeah, so she's th- that line with her was my vote for a weakest link of the season. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I don't disagree with you, and I, I think again this is another one of those things that I was complaining about is that it's another just coincidence to me that is just mm-hmm. kind of yeah, just I don't know. I just kind of I don't want to say sloppy storytelling, but just felt that way. Just just a coincidental thing. Another moment of tension just because um yeah i chopped that up to to show dynamics to get things yeah. moving along which isn't to say that i like the choice that they made but that's where but I what but what did up. she what did she move along though in the show other than she's a catalyst for the war the the war issue coming up by, by blowing up that ship and stuff like that um, I almost wish because they've introduced so many characters early. They introduced Anna, you know, half a season early. Mm-hmm. They introduced Bobby, a, almost a full season early, and Navasarala about a full season early. Um, they could have done that earlier and shown us some more of this background and her and planning and stuff. But but again, mm-hmm. that would have led to some bloated 
either bloated and or like way too pa- compact storytelling that wouldn't have worked. Right. So. She also fills in some of her sister's, uh, Julie's backstory and things like that, that True. because everything's so compressed and so flattened in the show, it just comes across as weak and not really giving you a whole lot. And it, it does play out more strongly uh, in the books and it makes more sense there. It does. Yeah. Okay. She's a fun character in the book uh, to read. She's cause she just is like if Amos was like bouncing off the walls mm-hmm. so um it, let's that segue us in and this will lead us into our wrap-up um anything we just haven't hit favorite moments uh least favorite moments any anything we just haven't talked about or haven't had an opportunity to bring up yet um i we've talked about Gemma in part but i did want to particularly emphasize uh one point uh after she has sacrificed herself for ashford and she's making herself a mech suit because she's now paralyzed and she can't walk i thought that was really cool that we have her do something really brave she survives it and now she's paying the consequences for it but wow is it not slowing her down and yet they do it in a really believable way that fits the world and so you know whenever she's going with naomi and holden to uh shut down the the generators and the rest of that and she's you know like everything that she does with that i really appreciated yeah. how they worked that in i yeah. wrote down this the the end of this show uh the the this the 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 hopefulness is these are broken people doing honorable things. Yeah. Like um, when she's in that elevator shaft, she's willing to sacrifice herself, blow herself yeah. up. But in the ninth hour, because it's felt a little, this, this, this show feels like it wants to be Game of Thrones and that it's willing to kill the character, right? Mm-hmm. There's, that, there's that feeling that they are willing to go there. And uh, yeah. I thought this was going to be it for her because I really loved her character in this season. I think she was great and I was, I was, I was ready to let go of her. I was ready for her to go out with a you know, in the bang, but then that elevator comes and smashes him. And I was like, I love it. Yeah. I literally screamed. Yes. So excited about that moment, but still the fact that she was willing to do that, that this person who just a few episodes, you know, the season or two earlier, you know, was kind of not really all that fleshed out. I didn't really care about, you know, they could have disappeared and I never would have seen them again. But for some reason now I care about what happens to them. Like that is, that's the sign of a well-written, well-fleshed out character that is, that that means something. So yeah, I'm with you on that. That was wonderful. Agreed. I I didn't love, emotionally, I liked the, uh, the the mech suit that she sort of makes for herself to mm-hmm. to fix her her broken spine um technically i didn't like it because i was like oh you you built that without ever moving and somehow even though your lower spine can't move um you were able to to tell your suit how to walk um like when you can't even move your legs to tell the legs to move forward and stuff like that i was like it's television okay. Tyler. i know let it well, go the other thing i was thinking it was wonderful <laughs> what are you t- what are you talking that- about <laughs> what are you- emotionally this i liked is- it the whole time i was like you just built you just built that in like an hour like with with on, with bro. a case that happened no to no no, no the greatest mechanic on uh, uh, chief engineer on the world was uh, uh, the world was helping no. her that's true. That's true. Come on. Uh, yeah, that's true. I forgot the element of now Naomi coming in there. Naomi can fix everything. Yeah. The other part, uh, sci-fi believability issue, uh, is um, the clear the clear uh, iPhones that they all have. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that is that is bad planning. Like there are like t- like there, she's there are multiple times where Avasaral is having a secret communication, and you can see who she's talking to through the thing. And I'm like, 
that is just privacy problems right there. Like you're having the secret communique on a clear screen that everybody can see. Tyler. Okay. Stop, that's fine. Stop Tyler. <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop. I'm just saying guys, you know, it's, it's, that's just realistic right there. I mean, Although I did like the holographic part. Why aren't you talking about the moment when, when Amos and Avasarala are talking about wearing pumps and she wants to know how he knows <gasps> oh about my that? Gosh. That I was a wonderful love, moment. That was a win. <laughs> it was wonderful. Absolutely that was, wonderful. That was quality. Yeah, yeah focus on great. the feels here. Who cares about your see-through <laughs> iPhones? Or the number the number of cameras that Amos smashes <laughs> of the documentary crew because he's mad at them. I loved that. I thought that was so great. Oh, when that first started happening, I was, I really, my heart sank. Uh, oh, I, that they were doing a documentary? Yeah, it felt like, um, uh, what is it called? Like just a, a, a way to, an exposition dump. Like for a little while, it just felt like, tell us why you're sad. You know what I mean? Right. And just, right. it, it, it felt a little on the nose. But but I like that they said, oh, we're just doing it so you'll pay our legal bills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they weren't actually yeah. being truthful. That that no. For me, that actually sold it for me. I was like, oh, I get it. They're just, they're being, you know, they're taking advantage of their, their fame to actually right. fund what they want to do. And then as soon as they turned on them, and yep. then you see Amos about to like space them or whatever. And they're like, what are you yes. doing? You can't do this. He's like, no, I'm not actually spacing them. I'm just not making them go over to the other ship. to go over to the ship. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so good. It was good. great. It was a wonderful moment. Because you're like, man, like, Amos, well, why are you your doing on. Yeah. I was like, man, Amos, why are you doing that, man? I thought I liked you. They're kind of innocent. And then like yeah. you realize he's not actually doing it. That That's a great like visual st- storytelling moment that was just mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. This yeah. is really good. I like that. That was a good moment. Well, even in the books, the the one guy, the um, the cameraman, is actually more, if I remember correctly, is more malicious. Like he's paid, mm-hmm. he's actually paid to play the thing in their system to shut everything down, the the back door to, to hack their system. Well, he isn't. Um, I mean, he, he's not actually doing it out of malicious. I mean, he he just he knows that he's sabotaging the ship. He doesn't have a motivation to do it other than he's getting paid. But in this in this case, if I remember right, it's it's much more almost innocent. He's mm-hmm. he's. He doesn't realize the back door that he just opened up, essentially. But or more like just didn't ask any questions. He didn't want didn't to ask. Yeah, to. didn't ask the questions. Yeah, I did like his gloves though for 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 future tech for for a blind person to interact with their environment. Yeah, that was cool. That, that was, was really neat. That was really neat. At first, I didn't know what was going on. Like because it took him a while to reveal he's blind. I think right. Yeah, you kind of have to pay attention and realize where his eyesight or his eye yeah. line is going or not going. One one of the things we haven't we haven't said and and we'll just mention this briefly but we are still the the next track podcast um, they've cast Spock oh for Discovery for Discovery well, we're, we're yeah. really jumping tracks now I know sorry I just realized as we're wrapping up that we we haven't talked about that and that's uh, Ethan Peck who is Gregory Peck's grandson is is uh, going to be the next Spock what what are you guys I know he's he doesn't have a huge long resume but. Are we okay with with a non Zachary Quinto or or uh, Nimoy being there? Depends on okay? how it's written. Yeah. Are you guys okay? <laughs> I'm not doing well at all, Tyler. <laughs> um, yeah. I expected that that outreach to be there, but it's it's been great. Yeah. You know what I want instead of Roman Holiday? I want Romulan Holiday to be made. Yes, I'm down. I'm down. Yeah, I don't. I you know, for me, it just it. It depends on how how it's executed. You know, I haven't mm. seen him in, I haven't seen him yet. So yeah, yes, yeah. I'm all for. I want him to succeed. Let, let me say it that way. We're not going into it as as those those close minded haters who are just all things discovery. It doesn't matter what decision they will make. 
they they could resurrect Leonard Nimoy and cast him in there, and they would still have a problem with it. Is pretty much well what some of the people will say. So, yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. No, there's nothing yeah. you can do that's right. No. Yeah, I'm. Um, I've seen him on a couple episodes of Madam Secretary, but he was just like a bit character who was important to a main character, and so it's Wait, like it's not really. Who is enough. he on Madam on Madam Secretary? Because I've I've seen it all. Oh, I okay, him. yeah. So BB Newworth, uh, when she was still on the show, it was her yeah. son that she you know she uh, leaves because of her son. It's her son. I knew I recognized him, but I did not know why. And I had glanced through his IMDb, but I must have missed those that section. Okay, I liked him. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, he didn't make a huge impression, but uh, clearly but it's a small part. <laughs> Yeah. You didn't think to yourself, that guy's Spock. Yeah, no. Uh, Zachary Quinto, I thought, that guy's Spock. No no question, but... Uh, Actually, I, it's kind of full circle, because I think the character's name is Roman Tolliver, so we got the Roman thing going again. Oh, there you go. I like it. Nice. Awesome. Well, um, as we wrap up, uh, we just want to reiterate some of the stuff that we had mentioned about what's happening uh, coming up in the next few months for us. We are, we're kind of digging into these... This We, we still haven't figured out what we're going to call it yet, the the geek checklist or the, the corners of geekdom that have been left unexplored, the undiscovered country, maybe, I don't know. Um, but, uh, in which we're going to toss different geek movies to one another and be able to talk about it. Uh, but we thought we'd let it up to, uh, leave it up to Twitter for this next time. And so we narrowed down a kind of a weird list of, of movies that we're going to put up on a, on a poll for Twitter. Now we, this is uh, something that we have, neither one of us has seen, correct? Oh These yeah. Are- this, this list, sometimes what it will be is I've seen a movie and Chris hasn't. And I'm going to say, Chris, you can't be a geek if you haven't seen this. Um, but this case, you know, we thought to kick it off, we would go with something that neither of us have seen. And, and actually Kate, we don't know if you've seen these or not. Um, and we, we just kind of went through a, a list and thought, what are some of the weirdest looking sci-fi movies that neither of us have seen? So the four that we chose um, that, that Twitter you will be allowed to, to choose from are Brazil, uh, Westworld, Under the Skin, and Adventures, uh, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, which I believe is on uh, Amazon Prime right now. It is. All of, whom, all of which are very, very strange <laughs> from what I've heard of in different ways. Have you seen so, any of those, Kate, by the way? None of them. Yeah, see, we haven't either. But, of course, Brazil is known as being one of the kind of... That's a big one. Yeah, hallmark, mm. crazy sci-fi films. So, Heard yeah. of Westworld, but, you know, well, I haven't seen it. And when we say Westworld, we're talking about the, the old one with Joel Brenner. Correct. Right. The 80s one. Uh, not uh, Although HB, the HBO one is great, but that's we're not going to binge watch two seasons of them in a week or two. So, although I, I might try. I wouldn't be uh, opposed. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, it's, look, it's, I just watched 13 hours of The Expanse <laughs> in a weekend, y'all. <laughs> I am down for whatever I need to do. Yep. So those are the four choices. Uh, we'll, we'll throw those up. Um, basically, along when this episode drops, we'll also put a link to the uh, to the poll. And uh, and then after that, we've got a few. We've got two months planned after that, which I'm pretty excited um, to see what we will we will all watch. So as always, you guys you guys can follow us on Twitter at the Next Trek. Don't be. Uh, Afraid to also subscribe and, and give us a rating on iTunes if you think we've deserved it. Uh, Kate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at a library geek. Awesome. Well, as always, everybody, thank you very much for listening and live long and prosper. Ooh.